today on CityCast Salt Lake. We have a rule on this show, which is that if you bring up the Inland Port, you have to explain what it is. So here is my best effort. The Inland Port is a plan to convert the northwest quadrant of Salt Lake County, so like out by the airport, into what I would most simply describe as a giant truck stop. The theory is that since the intersection of I-80 and I-15 is one of the biggest intersections in the West, let's really do it up. Can we be the first stop for all freight headed West? Like a port without the water. State leaders see this as a smart economic move as our state tackles growth. Now, of course, trucks equals fossil fuels equals more pollution in our fishbowl of a valley where air quality is already slowly and disproportionately choking us. And let's put this port next to the shrinking Great Salt Lake on the west side of a railway that racially divides our city. And friends, this is just where today's show begins. Because Dita Seed, a volunteer with Stop the Polluting Port, is here to talk about some of the bad behavior recently detailed in an audit of the Utah Inland Port Authority. It's Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Dita Seed, you're a volunteer with Stop the Polluting Port Coalition. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. My first question for you is, so the Inland Port is objectively a, th- a thing, but then this authority around it is like kind of the governing body for establishing the port and like making the port as sexy as possible to developers. And that group of people is made up of what, like just are they elected? Are they appointed? Who appoints them? They're appointed. They've always been appointed. Okay. And so far in the last four years, we've had three different boards. Okay. Um, the yeah. The constant strand running through the three boards is that there, there's always been a member of the Utah House of Representatives, usually from leadership. So the House Majority Leader has always been on the board. Right now mm-hmm. it's Mike Schultz. And then also the Senate has a representative, and then the governor's office has always had representatives. What's different with this board that's in existence right now is there's no local representation. They took out all of the city's representatives and the county representative. Did the city ever have representation in this process? Because when we talk about how we got here with the Inland Port, I think a lot of locals feel like we were written out from the beginning. Well, for all practical purposes, we were, Mm, um, the we being Salt Lake City. But in the early iterations of the board, there have been seats for a representative from Salt Lake City, a representative from the Salt Lake City Council. Um, In the second version of the board, they had a representative from Magna, West Valley City, Salt Lake County. So there was local government representation, and they eliminated all of that in this last legislative session. And it was controversial because the money that they're using is money that otherwise would be going to um, some part of it to these municipal governments and local governments. And so they took away local government's ability to collect these property taxes Hmm. that are being generated in the area. Okay. And that's quite controversial. That's that's wild to me. 
But let's get into this audit because the Inland Port Authority was audited. And the results are, I mean, look, clearly I'm no expert on this, but easy to read. They're not good. Yeah, they're not good. Like no bid contracts. I saw $10 million in taxpayer dollars that we had allocated for road construction. And then it turned out we like didn't really need to pay for that. Like just kind of mismanagement of money. I feel like anyone who's been paying attention to the Inland Port since its inception in 2018 knows that you specifically have been fired up about this. And I'm curious, you know, when you read this audit, what did you make of it? The audit confirms everything that we've been saying for the last four years about the problems Mm -hmm. with this project and with how it's being managed um, and underscored the huge questions about how our public money, our taxpayer dollars are being spent. They're one of the least transparent agencies I've ever seen in my career working in government and nonprofits. And we just don't have a good sense of how they're spending the money. And for me, what you know sort of adds insult to injury is that our tax dollars are being spent to create and, and build warehouses that are going to further deteriorate our air quality, our quality of life, destroy wildlife habitat, impact those communities closest that are already very vulnerable communities that experience disproportionate pollution right now. And in this instance, this project is all, all about making it easy for these developers to build warehouses. Yeah. This Utah Auditor General's office is starting to shed some light on it. But, you know, they're helping where warehouse developers, for example, with a road um, in that Greenfield area north of I-80. Um, I think they've spent $4.6 million on the road. Now, typically, developers build their own roads. Um, so that's an example of the kind of things that they do. But the real underlying problem is that no one ever adequately defined mm-hmm. what they were supposed to do or be. It feels like that is so often the philosophy of the legislature, though, like Salt Lake City of Industry, the Beehive State, the economy's humming, like just let the private wind up the private sector and let it do its thing and incentivize developers and like our state will thrive. Is this just like an example of does this bring to bear that that that's not a solution for us, like that maybe that philosophy is not good for our state and our city? Well, yes. I mean, it's one thing to say to private industry or business, you know, go forth and grow and develop and let them do it with their own resources. And it's quite another thing to say, oh, you know, we're going to massively subsidize this so that your profits increase. Because that's what's happening with this project, particularly on the north side of I-80, You know, these subsidies are helping certain people get even wealthier at our expense. Like, and we're paying for it. And that's what's outrageous. And, you know, our legislature claims to be fans that they they claim to be fans of free market enterprise. Well, this isn't the free market. This is welfare capitalism, not helping the already wealthy become wealthier. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't been following the port closely up until now, one of the reasons that this report seemed, this audit, the results of this audit seemed kind of shocking is because it does 
feel like there's not a lot of oversight over the Port Authority. And when we see stories about what they're working on, frankly, like they're either so boring and so dry and so hard to understand that I think they don't get a lot of attention or they're just kind of business as usual over with the port project. Um, What was the tipping point in getting an audit in the first place? Like who called for this audit and why are things changing? Well, I think it became obvious to the elected officials who helped to create the Port Authority, in particular Senator Jerry Stevenson, um, who was the sponsor of the authorizing statute in 2018, Hmm. that things weren't going well. And, you know, we've been beating that drum for four years, but it, it was really, really starting to add up. I mean, just an egregious example is that right now the Port Authority is paying the Boyer and Gardner companies, they're two big development companies, $120,000 a month to lease property that isn't being used mm. for anything. So that's just like money down a hole, you know? Um, and And I think those things... For, for, for legislative leaders were raising a red flag. And we were proven right with, with our concerns about all of this. Um, the problem is now they're trying to say, oh, we did an audit, we have a new board, we have a new executive director, don't worry about any of that that happened previously. It's all going to be fine. And it's, I think, really easy to say that, but... Um, The reality is, for example, the executive director that they hired has been with, uh, he was a Port Authority board member from the beginning. So he is not new. um, And he is. That's not cleaning house. No. They're basically the same power players who have always been involved, just in this instance, you know, different, different faces, but you know, still representing that Senate leadership, the House leadership, and the governor. It feels like part of the experience of being a Salt Laker is the agony of minority rule. (laughs) And I think really similar to the Inland Port Project is the gondola in Cottonwood Canyon. And, you know, watching that go down and and when you pay close attention in this county and in this valley, you know that like the, the people you just named, the governor... Senate leadership, House leadership, at the end of the day, if they want something to happen, there's a very good chance it's going to happen. And so on that note, like, it is pretty clear that the Inland Port is unpopular, especially with people who live on the west side of the city, right? And, you know, a lot of people think that the best Inland Port is no Inland Port, but it seems like that's not going to happen. So what is, in your opinion, the most realistic, best case scenario for Salt Lake City right now? with regard to the port? Well, so just to go back a second, since no one's ever really defined what an inland port is, I don't think we can say mm-hmm. that it's going to happen because we don't know what it is. I mean, the best case scenario actually would be for the dissolution of the Utah Inland Port Authority. And there is a precedent for this. There was something called U-Star that was another economic development initiative uh, that failed, and Senator Stevenson was involved with that, and he cites that, and Mm -hmm. it was dissolved. You know, they decided that it wasn't working, and they ended it. Um, So that could happen here. And then Salt Lake City, Magna, and West Valley City would regain control over the areas that are within 
their municipalities and and would be making land use decisions. And and I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to proceed. Um, there's no added value with the Utah Inland Port Authority. You know, it's just taking tax money and throwing that money at consultants and kind of, you know, ideas that are not well vetted. So we could, we could see it dissolved. Um, the other thing would be if its power was really significantly mm-hmm. reduced, uh, which is kind of, you know, like they could save face. And um, this, this actually may happen. Salt Lake City is negotiating a contract with the Port Authority over how that tax differential money gets used. And if that contract is negotiated in the way we hope it will be, then the effect of the Port Authority will be greatly diminished and the city can work toward making sure that what happens out there is sustainable and healthy for the neighbors and and not just a handout for developers. What would it take to dissolve the Inland Port Authority? Because if we've got this terrible audit and they're saying, oh, we've got a new board in ED, we've solved the problem, that doesn't sound like they intend to dissolve it or they see it as being in total crisis. I think they've contemplated what Mm -hmm. would happen if they dissolved it. And I think their feeling right now is that they're a little too far in to do that. But, you know, if if um, things continue to unfold in the disastrous way that they have so far, then that's probably going to be the most fiscally responsible step they can take. Um, so, you know, the, the future is yet to be written. But I will say for people listening to this that it's definitely the public that has made the difference in this. We have been very persistent, and the we is a big we. There are hundreds of people that have been working on this issue tenaciously for four years. We have a core group of about 100 people, 100 volunteers, who have really dug into the details and um, consistently pointed out the problems. And now all of that work is starting to bear fruit because we're seeing that the very legislature that created this thing is uncovering real problems with it. So people power does work in this instance, and we're going to have to, you know, keep on going. We're not done yet. But it feels like we can and perhaps have already made this less harmful for the public. Dita Seed, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. A little more news before we go. Over the weekend, I saw Don't Worry Darling, a movie with so many plot holes. And yet, still fewer plot holes than the Salt Lake School Board's ongoing investigation of Superintendent Timothy Gadsden. Back in July, Dr. Gadsden was placed on administrative leave by the Salt Lake City School Board, an institution that has really rattled public trust in recent years. It's not entirely clear why Dr. Timothy Gadsden, Salt Lake City's first black superintendent, was being investigated. The board held a lot of their meetings behind closed doors, but we are told his hiring decisions were being questioned as well as a trip he took to Arizona earlier this year. Now we have a joint statement co-authored by members of the school board and Dr. Gadsden. It declares that the investigation found no wrongdoing, but the superintendent will resign on October 1st. 
Still, Dr. Gadsden will remain a consultant with the school district through the end of his contract in June 2023. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.